G'day and welcome to the show. Today we've got George Christensen, Alexandra Marshall and Matthew Littlefield joining me on set as always. We're going to talk about capitalism versus communism, which is better and is either of them an absolute perfect good that can't go wrong. Uh, we're also going to be talking about latest news from the United Kingdom and their actual weaponization of the police force to censor and patrol social media. Is there any end in sight to that tyranny? And, of course, the issue of the week is Anthony Albanese's wonderful original idea, which will be so effective in promoting justice and peace throughout the land, an Aboriginal voice to Parliament. This is Pello Talk, and I'm Dave Pello. May all that you stand for and that we stand for be preserved under the providence of God for the happiness of mankind. The trouble is caused by unthinking people who carelessly throw away ageless ideals as if they were old and outworn machines. But it is the values of individual liberty, equality before the law and the supremacy of people over the state to which we can always with confidence return as a powerful and uniting force. Australia is not a secular country. It is a free country. Well, welcome to the show. Um, as I said before the intro, I'm Dave Pello and this is Pello Talk. Uh, one of the things you need to know about this show is we're going live at 1pm Australian Eastern Standard Time on Monday. Uh, the whole show will be available where you're watching it if you are currently watching it live. If you're watching a recording of this streaming on demand any time later, then this will actually be a short recording. Uh, the, around the 10 to 15 minute mark, we're going to end it say goodbye and ask you to switch over to the website, goodsource.news. At that point, we're fighting the censors. We're saying we're not going to support Facebook or YouTube with the full-length show. What we're actually going to do is uh, ask you to head to the website where we are now beyond the reach of censors. So that uh, censorship-free gloves-off moment coming up uh, in the next few minutes. First, I actually want to uh, welcome to the show uh, my guests today, ladies first, Alexandra Marshall. Uh, thank you so much for uh, joining the panel, as you so frequently do. Uh, thank you for having me. Speaking of censorship, I was just redoing a tweet, realising that I'd probably get removed from Twitter. So that's what I was humming around there for a second doing. It's a bit of an art how to say what you want to say without actually I, saying it. I thought Rainbow Barbed Wire might get me pinged on this account, so. <laughs> Absolutely. And also welcome to uh, George Christensen uh, and uh, author of the spectacularly fast-growing newsletter, conservative newsletter, uh, Nation First. George, welcome. Thanks very much, Dave. It's great to be on the show and uh, I sympathise with... Um, uh, with Alexandra having to second guess the tweets and uh, posts that she puts out. It's uh, dangerous these days to actually uh, write online what you really think because uh, you could end up being uh, depersoned. Well, that is if you're on the right. Uh, we've seen people this week writing all kinds of toxically uh, abusive, defamatory uh, comments about you, uh, but that's perfectly acceptable to the censors, not at all against uh, community standards. If you're attacking a uh, white conservative Christian married male. Uh, that's totally fair game and within their community standards. Um, also, welcome to uh, fellow guest in studio, um, Matthew um, Littlefield. I forgot your last name for all of half a second. <laughs> wow. Well done, Dave. Thank you, uh, Matthew. Um, what is it again? Oh, that's right. Author of Defending Conscience, Matthew Littlefield. You're not Tim Grant. <laughs> and hello to Tim if you're watching as well. Matt, um, do you want to watch this clip first or do you want to have a short introduction to it before we talk about just, communism versus capitalism? Yeah, just a short uh, introduction. Uh, just to get the obvious out of the way first, communism is evil. It's not just evil. It's one of the greatest evils that we've ever seen on the face of the earth and, and, and is, is responsible for the deaths of many people. And it is always fair game to criticise communism and those who promote communism. And so I don't want people to misunderstand what I'm saying here when I say this. We want to recognise this but not fall into a binary, a, a problem of binary thinking. Just because communism is evil doesn't mean everything about capitalism is good. And we have to be, we have to recognize that when we make criticisms of communism online, they're valid and good, but we can also make valid criticisms of our modern economic system and the way that it corrupts things. 
and it really has corrupted things. I mean, at the basis of capitalism is people being free to trade, whatever they have to trade. And that's a good thing. We want people to be free to be able to trade with each other in reasonable ways. But when everything is a commodity and everything is viable, that includes governments. Now, rather than me make a case about this, I want you to listen to a former American president called Dwight Eisenhower, where he explains something called the military industrial complex and what a problem that can be. So I'll hand over to that video now. And watching the scaffold being built. But he did want, he did not want to leave office without imparting some deeply held convictions. Uh, in some ways, counterintuitive convictions. Um, and we're about to see two clips. The first one, the old soldier warning his countrymen about the dangers of what he calls the military industrial complex. Good evening, my fellow Americans. First, I should like to express my gratitude to the radio and television networks for the opportunities they have given me over the years to bring reports and messages to our nation. My special thanks go to them for the opportunity of addressing you this evening. Three days from now, after half a century in the service of our country, I shall lay down the responsibilities of office as, in traditional and solemn ceremony, the authority of the presidency is vested in my successor. This evening, I come to you with a message of leave-taking and farewell, and to share a few final thoughts with you, my countrymen. A vital element in keeping the peace is our military establishment. Our arms must be mighty, ready for instant action, so that no potential aggressor may be tempted to risk his own destruction. Our military organization today bears little relation to that known of any of my predecessors in peacetime, or indeed by the fighting men of World War II or Korea. Until the latest of our world conflicts, the United States had no armaments industry. American makers of plowshares could, with time and as required, make swords as well. But we can no longer risk emergency improvisation of national defense. We have been compelled to create a permanent armaments industry of vast proportions. Added to this, three and a half million men and women are directly engaged in the defense establishment. We annually spend on military security alone more than the net income of all United States corporations. Now this conjunction of an immense military establishment and a large arms industry is new in the American experience. The total influence, economic, political, even spiritual, is felt in every city, every state house, every office of the federal government. We recognize the imperative need for this development, yet we must not fail to comprehend its grave implications. Our toil, resources, and livelihood are all involved. So is the very structure of our society. In the councils of government, we must guard against the acquisition of unwarranted influence, whether sought or unsought, by the military-industrial complex. The potential for the disastrous rise of misplaced power exists and will persist. We must never let the weight of this combination endanger our liberties or democratic processes. We should take nothing for granted. Only an alert and knowledgeable citizenry can compel the proper meshing of the huge industrial and military machinery of defense with our peaceful methods and goals, so that security and liberty may prosper together. And with that, Dwight Eisenhower left a two-term presidency okay. the way that he had. That's the end of the video. What Dwight Eisenhower is saying there is after World War II and the, the wars after World War II, America created the largest military industrial complex the world had ever seen. And what do we know about money? Money is necessary, but money also can corrupt everything. We read this in the book of James. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is this not your passions at war within your soul? Often 
War is the result of greed and avarice and the desire to take from others. And we have to recognize when we're cr criticizing communism, we're, it's fair game. But we can't argue that capitalism has only done good in this world and capitalists only do good. As Christians, as a pastor myself, you will know that this came out of a Christian worldview. And when it's guided by Christian principles, it blesses people. But when it's guided by rebellion and takes over governments, which is what Dwight Eisenhower is warning about, and then there was a motivation to go to war to make money because they make money off bombs, planes, guns, and everything else, then we get into a very dangerous situation. And notice what he said there. It is important for a populace to be aware, to be informed, as David has dedicated most of his life to doing, informing the populace of, how, of what's going on to keep this sort of thing in check. And so I think it's important that if we're going to make criticisms online about these sort of things, we need to do it more honestly and in a way which recognizes our own issues on our own side as well. And that's basically what I wanted to bring up this morning. That's great. And, um, and yeah, you're right. There's this, um, I guess, echo chamber that we can fall into the trap of indulging in when we assume that everything that's not communism is is inherently good and uh, without fallibility. Um, I like to distinguish between capitalism and crony capitalism. Um, and uh, and for my sake of definitions, the difference to me is capitalism is something that does have a level of government involved in. It's not an absolutely free market where monopolies, duopolies, uh, cartel behaviour and, um, you know, those oligarchs in Russia or, or Silicon Valley uh, get to abuse and oppress um, good things um, such as free speech and, and um, free trade, etc. Um, you know, this crony capitalism is the thing that is an abuse of freedom. And, and freedom, uh, I think, is most appreciated and wonderful when we understand that we are free for good not just free. Yep, exactly. Uh, George, uh, you got any thoughts on that? Well, uh, I do. It's interesting your take on, on crony capitalism versus capitalism. I mean, a true economy, natural economy, uh, a true free enterprise system uh, wouldn't have these great monopolies developed. And if you go back far enough, um, you'd find that there's been some government interference somewhere that has led to the development of, of uh, monopolies, duopolies, oligarchies, um, and the bastardization, I guess, of the natural economy. So um, it is right. We do need to uh, look at our own uh, side before we start. Um, well, well, not before we start, but we do need to look at our own side as yeah. well as criticise those on the other side uh, because... Um, you know, if we're just going to self-criticise, um, obviously uh, the alternative, say communism, will say, well, see, we're better. Um, mm. But at the end of the day, uh, they're not. But our own system could be inherently better. It has been, um, it has been, I, I, I guess, wrecked in a sense. Uh, we've got a system now which has uh, so many people uh, owning, owning so little and so few people owning so much and uh, you know that's not a case for uh, communism uh, that's a case to uh, get our system restored to a natural economy and uh, heaven forbid you think I'm pushing some sort of great reset no uh, unfortunately <laughs> those in the World Economic Forum that talk about resetting uh, the the capitalism that we've got I mean these are the people who have been in power and who have made lots of money and profits out of this lopsided system for so long. So something does need to be changed in our system, but what the change is we need to go back to a natural economy rather than one with more government interference uh, that creates more oligarchies, more monopolies and more duopolies because that's all it's going to do. Yep. Before um, I flick to you, Ellie Melly, uh, I think it's important to switch to the censor-free mode now. Um, some of the things you say have gotten me in huge trouble before. Uh, I'm only <laughs> joking. It's not you. It's oh, it's, the yeah. big... <laughs> it's the big tech censors. But uh, what I do want to do is just advise the viewers, if you're watching the recording of this and not the live stream, 
Uh, we're going to end it right now and uh, I want you to keep watching the rest of the show. We've got 45 minutes to go. Ellie Millie's about to tell us what she really thinks of capitalism versus communism. Uh, we've also got the topics coming up of uh, the Aboriginal voice to parliament. Uh, I'm sure some censors are going to get triggered by uh, some of that conversation. Uh, and we're also going to be talking about the censors themselves and uh, their big booted uh, behavior in uh, in the United Kingdom. So uh, thanks for watching. Please head over to goodsource.news, the website, goodsource.news, and uh, continue watching the rest of this video there. If you're still watching, congratulations, you're watching the live stream. There's no need to go anywhere. We're um, going to continue as we are right now on the channel that you're watching it right until the end. Um, Ellie, we're talking about communism. We're talking about capitalism. Um, I guess we're also indulging in a little bit of criticism, uh, being honest with ourselves about our own faults. Uh, I'm a believer in capitalism. Um, but for you, uh, what do you think the potential dangers are to capitalism um, if we take it as a given um, that communism is one of the worst systems available? I think he just used me as clickbait, Dave. That's what I think. Uh, to go <laughs> to the next channel. Um, okay, so first of all, capitalism is essentially free market, which is growth. And so it, un, unmitigated growth, we have to put a few uh, gentle rules on it, a few caps to stop growth from becoming absolute power, which is why capitalism has a small amount of scaffolding around the concept of free enterprise. Now, the more a socialist and collectivist ideology you bring into a capitalist system, the faster it fails. And so in the last 20 years, we've seen so much importing, mostly from this self-criticism we've gone, we don't like this, let's import more socialism. And it has seen the rapid collapse of our capitalist system because we've got mm. government interference suffocating a system which does work and now it isn't. So the World Economic Forum's push for digital identity is the perfect example of a collectivist idea coming in to make our capitalist system more friendly and kind and safe when all it's doing is wrecking it uh, wholesale. So what I will say is I disagree with the premise that we have to engage in this kind of self-flagellation and reflection at all times. We have enough geopolitical enemies who devote their entire nation to criticising the capitalist and Western system. What we need to do is promote and restore the good things about capitalism and about freedom and liberty and start teaching our children how wonderful our system is and how well it has worked in comparison to other systems in history because there is no denying that in all of human history there was never a freer, fairer or more successful economic system than what we had in the West in the last 100 years. It is undeniable that it worked. And so this, this idea of continuously criticising ourselves has led to nothing but activist victim groups importing their Marxist ideology into the cracks that we're making for ourselves. People uh, maintain their systems of government far better and pursue better goals when they believe in the goodness that, they, uh, that the system is bringing them. And that's how you get restoration. That's how you get improvement, not from endless self-criticism. So I disagree with the concept of sitting here and picking apart capitalism. It's not perfect, but humans aren't perfect either, and we never will be. It's a good now, solution. Do you think there's a, a middle ground, a, a balance in between constant self-flagellation at the advantage of um, a good ideas critics, or, or do you think um, there's something to be gained from letting the critics bring up all the bad points and just weighing them honestly while we advocate the good. I think Alexandra has just highlighted that, ironically, in what you've said. I think what you said was actually spot on, and you make an interesting point, and you're right. We shouldn't just sit in self-pity all the time and talk about how bad our way of doing things are and woe is us and woe is us, and that's not what I was pointing out. What I was pointing out is things have been overtaken by evil forces, and what made capitalism great and what made it great around the world were those principles which guided it in the past. And a lot of those principles are no longer here. And so we have to we have to criticize those overtakings of it, those corruptings of it to get back to what it was good, because a lot of young people today won't believe in it if they see this see this corruption is what we're arguing for. And that's part of my point. When you just brush aside all of these things which are happening, which for example, right? I mean, let's talk about some of the stupidity in this area when they put rainbow 
flags on bombs which are being dropped in Middle Eastern countries <laughs> or in, in, in other places just to signal wokeness. I mean, it, it, the, the, the amount of nonsense which is which has taken over our system needs to be stripped away so we can give our kids, I agree with you, I agree in the Western way of life. I'm a Western chauvinist, you could put it that way, because I believe in our way of life above all other ways of life. I mean, that's, that might be how people see it as a negative way of putting it, but I don't. You should believe in your way of life, but you can't believe in the corrupt aspects of it. You need to cut them out. You need to prune the branches. Anyone who knows if you've got a lemon tree or an orange tree, it may have given you beautiful fruit in the past, but if you allow corrupt branches to grow through it, it'll stop giving you the fruit that it used to give you. So you've got to prune those branches back to get back to what, what the good things were. And that's all my point is. I actually think that's part of what you were saying. And actually that constant self-doubt and self-flagellation is that Westerners hold, I think we should shake it off. That's a bad thing. That's exactly. A toxic we thing. should be less apologetic. We should be less apologetic to the rest of the world for succeeding. And we shouldn't be trying to um, shoot our economies in the knees with stupid policies like climate policies and all sorts of other stuff to give other countries an advantage. I, I totally agree with that point. Can I make a material point? Communism has an advantage, well, actually any centralised dictatorship-led system has the advantage of it moves quickly. It can do things with directives so it can build large empires fast, but it has the fundamental failure where it does, because it's done from a centralised uh, government and system and idea, if something's going wrong inside the communist system, it ignores it. So a capital system moves, well, basically a democracy moves slowly where it feels the air over here and if that works, it expands. If it works over here, it expands and it dismisses things that don't, it doesn't work. And so it grows in a steady fashion, becomes extremely strong. Whereas all communist empires, they're like a Ferrari trying to run around, you know, the Amalfi Coast top speed. They look great doing a few corners and then suddenly they're careening off a cliff. And that's how most communist empires fail. And we're seeing, that's why they turn into expansionist empires, which is what China is now. Now, because they're failing start to pull them back and they feel this collapse coming so they start pushing outward and that is a failing of communism that almost nobody bothers to point out because it is catastrophic it's a system that doesn't work uh, at its fundamental level and so we don't teach kids uh, they see all these great things being built by communists and even Trudeau was saying how much he admires the communist system but no one sits them down and goes yeah it's great for about five minutes and then it's appalling it's apocalyptic so we don't. We need to teach our children the real failings of communism. We've told them absolutely nothing about communism, except oh, it might be great if you're poor. That's what our teachers are teaching kids. That's a really important point, uh, George. Talking. I want to give you the final word on this topic, uh, and I'd like you to actually uh, indulge Trevor, who asks um, for somebody to summarise what are those good principles of capitalism that we should be espousing, uh, reinforcing, and promoting. Well, uh, capitalism to me is, is as I've said before, the natural economy. What's a natural economy? Well, there's another word for it. It's society. I mean, uh, I'm well at doing something. I share my gifts with someone that wishes to uh, purchase them or to have that. Uh, in return, I get rewarded for it. And that other person might be good at something else that I want. And they get rewarded for it and I get what I want. So... Uh, a natural economy is all about everyone actually helping one another and being part of something larger uh, that we call society or community, actually. So that's what I mean by a natural economy. A natural economy isn't uh, government dictating who's going to do what, how much they're going to get paid for it. No, 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 no. It leaves us up to uh, leaves all of that up to us, and uh, therefore that's perfect freedom. So, what's the good thing? about uh, the natural economy, about real free enterprise capitalism, freedom. That's what's good about it, freedom. Good. Yeah, I like freedom. And I think uh, freedom is uh, really the perfect system. And uh, I think it, uh, mm. I think it was uh, Thomas Sowell who, who said capitalism isn't an ism, it's just freedom. <laughs> um, it, it's it's uh, the way things should work. And I do think that um, that is best exercised when people understand that they are free for a reason and free for a purpose um, and not just free as license to do whatever you want. Um, what I would like to do now, Ellie, is have you tell us a little bit about the uh, big jackbooted uh, brown shirt approach of uh, the British police to social media 
um, and their abuse of freedom. Uh, what's happened? What's been happening there recently, and and what's the latest developments? Well, we all know our fan favourite Lawrence Fox has been fighting for freedom in the Reclaim Party in the UK. Well, last week a, a veteran was arrested for liking and reposting one of Fox's uh, uh, Twitter posts, which was the pride flags, not the rainbow ones, but the one with the new trans little triangle in the middle. They tessellated them into a SWAT sticker and, of course, somebody online was uh, offended it caused them anxiety and so the Hampshire police showed up at his door and arrested him now this would have gone unnoticed had Lawrence Fox not arrived with his his phone and a camera and started live streaming the event and so this footage went viral and uh, uh, the overreach was such that uh, it sort of proved his point I mean when the Gestapo show up and say you can't retweet this because uh, this idea that you're linking LGBT activism to fascism and yet here come the Gestapo or well, maybe it had he had a point to begin with anyhow this over policing it's called non-crime crime or something ridiculous like that well, they have now, the Hampshire police have been told that this is no longer a thing. They're not to enforce this ideological door knocking of uh, tweets and Facebook posts, which, which has only happened because uh, Lawrence Fox was there um, and he publicised it. Now, this is a problem because our police force uh, isn't coming to uh, the conclusion themselves. They're not sitting down and going, gee, we definitely overstepped the mark here, this was a mistake, maybe we're the bad guys. No, they're literally being forced into it by mass public outrage and pressure. And that's a problem because it means there's no structural ideological change happening within the force, so they'll keep trying to find new ways to, inf to enforce this ideological tyranny. Now, Fox makes a really good point. This is part of his bad law program where if you've got laws that are based on ideology, based on offence, based on feelings, they cannot be enforced uh, equally or fairly because anybody can be offended by anything. I mean, I, I'm a female conservative on Twitter. I get more than one death threat a week. That, you know, is that anxiety? But there's nobody knocking on anybody, any activist doors about it, is there? So uh, it sort of is a new age of unenforceable law in the UK and he is reaching out to try and get this taken out of precedent. He doesn't want the UK to devolve into a thought crime state. <laughs> we're, we're back and we're better than ever. We disappeared from screen for a little while. George, um, we saw a similar thing happening in uh, Victoria Stan where uh, Daniel Andrews' uh, goon squad uh, basically knocked on the door of a uh, pregnant lady, um, came in and arrested her for the thought crime of disagreeing with dictator Dan. Uh, now, normal procedure would be um, that they would make a, a phone call and make an appointment for such a person to come in and, and be charged um, politely and, and civilly, but they, they seem to, for some reason, be given orders to make a scene out of it and, and make it a, a terrorising experience for the poor lady. Um, your thoughts on how far away Australia is from following England, supposedly um, our standard for freedom and democracy and the Westminster system, how far away are we from uh, getting this kind of social media policing here in Australia if that's not an example we already are? Well, you've just given you've just given the answer. We're already there. I mean, uh, we've had uh, pregnant mothers in front of their own children and families uh, being handcuffed for what they posted online. Now, it was yes, a very different thing to the uh, offence against wokeism uh, that happened over or that happens over in the UK because this uh, elderly uh, British veteran is not the first person who's fallen afoul of these, uh, you know, so-called hate crimes that they have over in the UK. Uh, but but uh, here in Australia, obviously, uh, a COVID thought crime occurred by wanting to organise people to protest uh, uh, the laws that were in place. Now, just think about that for a moment. Someone wanting to protest laws that were in place, posted online trying to rally other people uh, to protest those laws, and they were arrested in their own home as a result. We have already slipped down that slippery slope um, and it won't be long before more of this uh, crops up. And now, 
Lawrence Fox actually, I'm going to say uh, more power to him. He's um, uh, one of my favourite actors, being in one of my favourite uh, series, the sort of Morse Inspector Morse universe, where he played, uh, I think it was Detective James Hathaway in the in the uh, sequel to uh, Morse called Lewis. Um, but he's a, a better political activist than he was uh, an actor, even though he was a brilliant actor. Uh, this kind of stuff does need to be called out because if we let it continue, there will be absolutely and utterly no end to it. And you mm. think it will stop at just uh, criticisms of sexuality, criticisms of gender, criticisms of maybe race or whatever it may be. You think it'll, it'll only be those people who are going to say something untoward about someone's sexuality, gender identity, race or religion or whatnot. No, 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 no. When the next fad comes... I just lost him. You muted him. Well, uh, sorry, I was just saying... Uh, sorry, George, I just accidentally <laughs> muted you. Yes, I That was I me, my bad. <laughs> I understand. It wasn't the big tech census yet. Um, but uh, uh, look, what I was saying was you might think that uh, this is only going to harm the people who are going to speak ill of someone's uh, gender identity or sexuality or uh, race or religion. But when the next woke fad comes along and your views fall afoul of it, it just might be your door that the local constabulary are knocking on. That is why it is vitally important that you push back against any attack on free speech like this. Free speech, and, and, and there's a lot of people that criticise uh, people that argue about free speech, saying, oh, we have free speech. But that is nonsense. We only have free speech in a country where, where you are able to listen to speech that you don't like. Speech that you don't like. It's not just free speech for speech that you do like. It includes free speech that you don't. There's a difference between hate speech and speech that you hate. Uh, that's got to be a given in any democracy. But the problem is that line has well and truly been blurred. And uh, what we're seeing in the UK is people being arrested like this uh, like this war veteran was and um, like the woman that you talked about in Victoria was. Mm. Uh, we're going to see more and more of it, Dave, unless we push back and we've got to push back. Can yeah. I add one thing to that comment? Uh, this is symptomatic of weak ideology. So Loza Fox has cottoned on to the idea that these woke uh, thought bubbles, this new ideology that's being pushed, such as coercive language, they are weak ideas and they are not popular. And so the general public move to criticise them or outright mock them. A laughter is the thing that they hate most. They can't stand comedy. And that's because they know that they're not going to win the culture wars themselves on merit. They can't stand up there and convince the general public to agree with them or to affirm uh, their nonsense propositions. They come out with things like, oh, we're going to have men competing against women in sport. No, most people say that's ridiculous. You can't have that. Um, so they've started to use the law and the political class to mm -hmm. force about half the population at least, because we know politics is split roughly half, into obeying a minority viewpoint, even if it's a bad idea. Now, this is not how a democracy works. This is how a dictatorship works. It's how you start to sculpt and artificially uh, change the direction of a civilization. It's sort of like a vanity project for activists that the politicians are going along with because they think it'll make them look good on a promotional poster. And it is in no way moral, ethical, or healthy for a democracy to behave in this manner. So more power to Lawrence Fox for pushing it. He knows that if he doesn't win, his career is over because he has to win the argument in order to be accepted back into the mainstream thing. So if they lose, then we all get to go back to our lives. But if we allow this tyranny to win, then it's going to get worse. Yep. Yeah. Uh, Psychedelic says Jacinta said she should be our only source of truth. Uh, I'm assuming you're not talking about uh, Senator Jacinta Price. but Jacinta, No, it's from uh, my article. It's from uh, my article. <laughs> Was it, it's, is it uh, Auntie Cindy in New Zealand or just into Yeah, Yeah, so um, 
The Daily Wire dug up some uh, footage from 2020 when Jacinta Ardern stood in front of a press conference and told everyone, "You, we will be your only source of truth. If it doesn't come from us, it's not real. Yeah, and right. uh, I and wrote a little article paying her out about that a couple of weeks ago because she deserved it. That's a government saying, trust yeah. no one but us. Yeah, yeah. No, but that's a Jacinda with a D, not, not the T. Uh, D is the, the, the bad commie over the ditch. And... Uh, yes. <laughs> Jacinta is the uh, the good one, yeah. Um, so uh, yeah, psych- uh, yeah, psychedelic uh, Jacinta is uh, spelled wrong. It's a D there, uh, as Trevor adds. So important to get it right because we've got two very high profile um, people with a similar sounding name, and uh, one of them is completely opposite to the other in every way imaginable. <laughs> um, Matt, what do you think about Bruton's standard setting of policing hate speech with uh, non-crime hate incidents um, and the way Australia is uh, potentially going in that direction as well? We've been told for maybe at least my entire adult life and maybe a bit longer and I just wasn't paying attention that we were entering into what they call the Asian century. and that uh, China particularly was going to dominate the world in this time. Uh, and one thing that a lot of people didn't, don't understand about that is that the rest of the world, or at least the nations which are involved in the rest of the world, which in the past wasn't always the entire world because they were so separate, tend to copy and parrot the ways of the dominant country. You see this in, in all sorts of life. You see this in football teams trying to copy the uh, Melbourne Storm because they're the most successful team. You see it in churches where people try to copy particular kinds of churches because they're the most successful. And and this is what happens. This is, this is a very normal cultural phenomenon. And we saw it come down with like a hammer in 2020 when the entire world followed the insane Chinese policy of lockdowns oh, and all of that incredible. nonsense, right? Yeah. What was happening, what's happening is we're seeing the results of the Asian century. Now, it's not inevitable that will happen because the way to avoid it is to have a strong belief in the convictions which you hold and not be tempted to just gravitate towards what is most successful at the moment. Uh, Alexander Marshall mentioned before that China is very successful at the moment in this moment in time. doesn't mean it will last. There's no reason why we need to copy it. And the only way to avoid this is to be certain in your principles and strong in your principles and aware of why your way of life is superior and why you should stick to it. And the problem is, is we are led by the exact opposite of those kinds of leaders. We're led by the kinds of leaders who uh, feel anxious about our way of life or afraid to assert it, afraid to, to point out the success of the West in the past. And so one of the ways that we can avoid falling into this trap is to just strongly assert these principles, to stand by them, to advocate for them, to teach them to others and to ruthlessly mock those who don't want to hold to them because the, the the cost of not holding to them is exactly what you saw times 10 mm. getting arrested well, and, for the most ridiculous things and a nation of victims is is going to become the victim of the uh, strongest geopolitical predator and if the west turns itself into a victim uh, a victim we will be eaten by china and then china will collapse and the world will be completely screwed <laughs> yeah yeah a nation of victims is a is a petty nation as well yeah, 100%. Uh, well, I'd like to thank everybody for watching this show. We've got another great topic yet to come, the Aboriginal Voice to Parliament, but just want to take a moment to say thanks for your comments. We put them on screen if they're on topic and, and helpful. We'd like participating in the conversation with you. Um, and uh, we also really thankful to the Good Source supporters, those people who are actually putting their hand in their pocket to help us do this full-time at more and more quality. A big thanks to Chris, who's producing for us voluntarily every Monday at the moment. I'd really like to be able to uh, increase support to be able to pay him a wage. Um, you can be part of doing that by going to the website, goodsource.news, and clicking on the support button. If you do that, you'll be joining with hundreds of other Australians who are putting their hand in their pocket for just 10 or $20 a month, and some a lot more. Uh, but every single one of you, every dollar helps and you are doing your part to fight the lying harlot media, those people who are maliciously deceitful and utterly faithless with the purity of the news that they owe us for commercial benefit to themselves uh, and, and that's not okay. So we're wanting to be part of the solution and by becoming a supporter, you are helping us to be part of that solution. Uh, George Christensen, you're... Um, 
been watching the news headlines along like along with every other Australian. And Anthony Albanese has got this uh, fantastic novel idea that the Constitution should be amended. We should add another um, House of Parliament and uh, completely rewrite democracy, giving one class of Australians more voting rights than every other Australian. They're calling this the Aboriginal voice to Parliament. Um, tell us about the detail and all the wonderful arguments that uh, the Labor government is putting forward to us. Well, look, I can't articulate the uh, the arguments of the Labor government. Can I say that it's not just the Labor government? This was an idea that was uh, being created under the former Liberal National Government that I was a member of, and that I note that there are still some members of the Liberal National Coalition uh, who support it. I don't know where the entire coalition actually sits on it, but one of them, obviously, being Jacinta Price, who we talked about earlier, uh, an Aboriginal woman herself uh, from the Walpiri uh, people, um, she, uh, obviously, being a new senator, has spoken out against this, and I think that her voice and uh, the voice of Senator Pauline Hanson are actually two of the most critical voices to hear on this issue. Mm -hmm. uh, what Jacinta Price has actually said, uh, I just absolutely love this, and you need to, to hear exactly what she says about this voice to parliament idea. In her speech, her maiden speech, she said she, said she was an empowered Walpiri Celtic Australian woman who did not and has never needed a paternalistic government to bestow my own empowerment upon me. We've proven for decades now that we do not need a chief protector of Aborigines. And quite yeah. honestly, that is what the Labor government and all of those in the coalition that support this racist voice to parliament actually are supporting. Uh, they're supporting the reenactment of the chief protectorate uh, where, where each and every mm. Aboriginal person has to have some government entity uh, to assist them. We talked about victimhood before. That is entrenching victimhood. It's entrenching victimhood in our constitution. It's also entrenching racism. And I go to Senator Pauline Hanson and what she said, she actually said this is Australia's version of apartheid. And, you know, you might think, wow, that's strong language. But it is absolutely and utterly true. We are going to enshrine into our constitution a new chamber of our federal parliament where the eligibility to sit in it, the eligibility to elect people to it, will be based on the colour of your skin. It will be based based on your race, based on your ethnicity. Tell me what's not racist about that. Can someone explain to me how that's not a racist thing just because it's Aboriginal people? Like, And I've heard a lot of migrants to this country, new generation migrants, that have actually reached out to me and said, well, what about me? Do I get a Chamber of Parliament? Can we have an Asian Chamber of Parliament or a South yeah. African <laughs> Chamber of Parliament? Uh, where does it stop? So this is something that's going to fundamentally alter our country if we allow it, and that's why we need to push back on it. I think that each and every one of us needs to vote no and start telling our friends, our neighbours, our enemies, our workmates, whoever, that they must also vote no if they oppose racism and oppose oppose the notion of re-establishing some sort of chief protectorate uh, agency for Aboriginal people in this country. It's not yeah. a good idea. It's not a good idea at all. Yeah. I, uh, I'm trying to imagine what the reasons are. Um, I'm trying to listen to what they're saying and trying to explain it. I, I do want to be open-minded about this. My default and natural position is that this sounds like racism uh, with lipstick. Um, it, it's just a pig. And this isn't something that's going to be easy to sell. But I'm, I'm trying to listen to what the selling point might be. And some of the reasons I think they might offer is that it's immoral, that there's somehow some moral deficiency in the Constitution if we don't acknowledge uh, the people that were here when British colonisation happened. Um, and that there's somehow there's a problem there and it can be fixed by, you know, acknowledging um, them in the constitution and, and then some it's this combination and blurring of the lines between this acknowledgement in the constitution um, and and a voice to, to parliament and, and a treaty as well, which dictator Dan is, is implementing in Victoria. 
Um, so, you know, is there a problem uh, in the constitution by not acknowledging one particular ethnic group in Australia? Mm. Um, I, I think a second thing that some people are arguing is that by somehow creating a third chamber of parliament, none of the details of which we're, we're yet privileged to be able to see, um, that this is going to create some significant progress or magically fix the real problems that uh, Indigenous Australians are experiencing in um, astronomically higher rates of <clears throat> domestic violence and child sexual assault, uh, drunkenness, disease and, and early death, early graves. And these are these are real tragedies um, and I don't know how a third chamber of parliament uh, which is racially stacked, is is going to help solve those. Um, I can't think of um, any other potential reasons at the moment, but I think the, the clear problem is that even to a fair-minded, open-minded person, um, we are completely lacking any detail. Essentially what Anthony Albanese is asking for in the question he's proposing is that we let them change the constitution without any kind of detail or boundaries on what they're going to do next. Exactly, George. They're just saying, trust me, I'm from the government and I'm here to help. Mm. Yeah, well, it, it, you know, we can't give them a blank check and that's what it will be, a blank check. Um, you know, there needs to be detail around this, but uh, quite frankly, whatever detail they put forward is not going to be enough to, to sh shift the fundamentals. And the fundamentals are... They are trying to enshrine in our constitution another chamber of parliament. They say it's not, but yet it's going to have influence on the laws of the land. That is a chamber of parliament right there and then. And, yeah. and if, they, if they have this chamber, it's going to be one that is made up of people of only one ethnicity, of only one race, and, and they will be elected by people of only one ethnicity and one race. And yeah. that, by definition, is racist. I don't want anything racist in my constitution, thanks very much. In fact, there is one line in the constitution uh, that should be taken out, and that is the line that actually gives the federal government the ability to create laws based on someone's race, that being the Aboriginal race. We need to get to a day where we remove all of this nonsense and we accept we're either one Australia, one people under one flag, or we're going to be somehow this, because uh, the alternative is we're going to be this um, uh, conglomerate of two separate nations and two separate people. And, yep. you know, if that's a future that some people want for their country, good luck to them. It's never worked anywhere else in the world. In fact, it's led to some horrific outcomes. Uh, you know, or the other alternative is we are all one. So we talk about closing the gap, right? Uh, that's one thing. When is the gap going to be closed? And at that point that we set a date and say, this is the date that we close the gap, then we mainstream everything. Instead of having these siloed uh, Indigenous services, we put everything under one umbrella. Um, and, and, do, you know, and can I, do you know how you close say, the gap? Oh, yeah, sorry, I was going to say, you know how you no, close no, the gap? No, go ahead, Alexandra. Go ahead. You actually invoke equality. So parents in Indigenous communities have to send their children to school and they are punished according like everybody else if their children don't go to school because the next generation is growing up disadvantaged because we don't treat people equally, don't encourage uh, the same level uh, of education and, and responsibility in Indigenous communities. Instead, we throw money at all these activist groups who make excuses for the failures of personal responsibility. And so we will never get anywhere. And the same thing happens with, uh, it's, you see it sort of in the, um, the handout situation among other disadvantaged communities, where if you keep rewarding people for not showing any responsibility, then they never get anywhere. And so this activist mentality, it's more than $30 billion every year the federal government gives to Indigenous groups. And the Indigenous representative in the ABC already said that this voice to parliament is about reparations. It's about paying the rent, which is more money. Again, the one thing we know is that money isn't solving anything. Um, and it's based on this idea where you hear these activists say, oh, it's colonialism's fault that there's violence in these Aboriginal communities. Now, I'm sorry, but these were warring tribes for tens of thousands of years. Women were bartered 
and traded as slaves. They were left to eat the scraps after the meals. Children were disposable. The elderly and sick were left to die. Now, this is not a, a responsibility of colonialism. This is what uh, Australia we walked into. And so we're now trying to enforce new ideas, almost Christian values, I, even though I'm not religious, I will say it, onto this ancient landscape. And so we can't live in a halfway house here. We have to all be either equal or accept that we won't be. And we don't want to live in this enshrined tribalism. We've got one tribe of the voice of parliament in opposition to the rest of the Australian people. That is not going to work. That's not reconciliation. That's the opposite of reconciliation. That's enshrining an eternal divide in Australian politics. Now, that will never work. I look at New Zealand, they are collapsing into this warring state where even the Maori people can't read half the signs that are now in New Zealand. It's, it's a disaster. Uh, yeah. And all it does is create this activist level which costs everybody a fortune. So you ask mm-hmm. Dave, why do they want it? Well, it allows them to create an entirely new bureaucracy which they get to employ themselves in, make a fortune, get publicity and wield power over the democratic system. It is appalling that anybody would consider voting yes to racism in the Australian Constitution. So much for we are all one. That actually brings me to a question I want to ask all all three of you, and Matt, I'll start with you, and that is as things stand at the moment uh, and maybe predict what kind of campaign Labor and the Greens are going to run for for why there should be a third House of Parliament, but... uh, what do you think the outcome is going to be? Referenda don't have a great success rate in our in our nation. Uh, in fact, it's it's the odds are stacked against them. Do you think Australians are going to vote yes to an Aboriginal voice to Parliament to this question by Albanese? I would like to say that they would be smart enough not to, and they believe in enough in the institutions not to. But I'm not so convinced. I, I think it's going to really be very simple what the campaign is going to be. You're going to be called racist for asking what's the details. You're going to be called racist for saying we shouldn't have this uh, this extra uh, uh, house of parliament. Even if it's a ceremonial house, whatever it is, you're going to be called racist for questioning it, even though the irony of that is it's actually the opposite. That's what's going to happen. And that's just going to break As down always, a lot. Of- it's always the opposite. It's the racists calling everyone else racist. Well, it's just the way uh, it's, it's powerful rhetoric and people... Uh, will use it because it will batter down a lot of people. It'll make a lot of people go silent. It'll mean people won't mm-hmm. talk about it in church. They won't talk about it at the clubhouse. And and that's one of the strategies of the dominant elites at the moment. It's the same with you wanted to ask what was in the uh, the, the contents of that medical uh, advice that you were given in the last couple of years. You were called an anti-vax or an anti-this or anti-science, whatever, just because you wanted an answer to a question. So that's, that's probably going, I would say that's almost certainly going to be the strategy. And we've already seen elements of that so far with somebody i think it was pauline who walked out of parliament and was accused uh, in in various different ways by other people Mm. but i think i I think the chances of this getting up i mean past performance is no predictor of future results so just because referendums struggle to get up in the past doesn't mean this won't I, i i'm really concerned that they could they could win this one not because it's a good policy not because it makes any sense but because the 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 media landscape is on their side uh, mm-hmm. the, the, the political landscape is, even many of the, the sort of the, the, the right of centre parties, many of mm-hmm. them wouldn't, wouldn't be that vocal against us, though, I assume. Maybe maybe more of them are than I am aware of. But yeah, I just conviction to defend our ways of life. Uh, so I would actually argue, get ready to be called a racist, also be ready to laugh it off because you know it's not true, and, 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 and make your case and do it unapologetically. Alexandra... Mm-hmm. Who's going to win this uh, referendum? Yes or no? How's it going to be fought? Look, I spent all day watching replies to articles and online conversations, and I can tell you that even at the Guardian, they're running polls, and it's well, over seventy-five percent no at the Guardian, which is easily wow. the most left-leaning publication. Uh, public yeah. polls done on places like Daily Mail are ninety-five percent no, and I I think this is because it's slightly different. So Australians are used to the idea that they're spending far too much money on Aboriginal activism. They don't like the abuse of things like Australia Day. This is mainstream. Migrants don't like it either. They know that so much of this virtue singling money is doing nothing but line the pockets of activists, and this feels like an activist push. And so if you read the comments that are being left against these articles, even in The Guardian, they say things like, 
no, we are not going to put racism in our constitution. So as long as we keep saying no to racism and make that point strongly, I think the no has a, a good chance because don't forget, your referendum needs a, an overwhelming support in every state to get up. And what I'm seeing now is widespread no from a population that is absolutely sick and tired of wasting public money on activists. Mm. That's, that's right. an interesting data point, Alexandra. Mm. George, uh, is that enough evidence to give you hope of a, mm. a just outcome? Well, uh, can I invoke the spirit of Boutros Boutros Gali and say that both Alexandra and Matthew are right, uh, that I, <laughs> I inherently believe in in what Alexandra has said, that the Australian people will see common sense and will not allow uh, a racist element to be inserted into their constitution. I inherently believe that. However, Matthew was right as well. All of the institutions of our culture have been working for some time now on leading up to fundamental changes like this. Uh, in our schools, for goodness knows how long, uh, they've all had to sit and be welcomed to their own bloody country mm. almost every day, every day, instilling into a future generation that their country is not theirs. That's why I loved when Pauline Hanson got up and walked out of Parliament. Yes. i got to tell you, I had to sit through that. You go in there for the morning prayers, and the first thing they do is acknowledge that it's not your country, that it's someone else's. Um, and it's interesting how that's done. That's the preference that Parliament places on things. They place uh, the Aboriginal people, essentially uh, the creation, above prayers which are for the Creator. And the Aboriginal religion. Something... The well, Aboriginal well religion. they're putting the creation above the Creator, and uh, and I think that mm. there's a lot that's been, lots to be said about uh, about that. But but the point is that uh, whether it's the media, whether it's the universities, whether it's the schools, uh, all of the, 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 the political uh, zeitgeist, I guess, in general, yeah. all of this has been working towards instilling and drumming into everyday Australians that they are racist, that the nation has a black legacy, a racist legacy, um, that uh, it's something that's tarnished us, um, that we should somehow change it. We need to... Uh, uh, do something which is uh, going to restore um, the original people of of the of the of this uh, landmass to their so-called rightful place. Um, but it's been pointed out by one of the commenters, commentators, or commenters on the uh, on on one of the channels here that there already are Aboriginal people who have a voice That's in great. our parliament. Something like eleven Aboriginal. Uh, or Indigenous members of our parliament. So so why do we need a voice? Um, particularly when you would look at that uh, percentage and just say, well, in terms of the percentage of Indigenous people in this country and in terms of the percentage who are in parliament, um, it's absolutely massive. So, so why do we need this voice? I think that Alexander is right. At the end of the day, I think Australians will say no, but that's no reason to rest on our laurels because the cultural institutions no. are all pushing for yes. Yeah. Now, in the uh, in the referendum to uh, for a republic, uh, again the zeitgeist, the the lying harlot media, and most of the uh, major parties were all um, voting, uh, pushing for and agitating for a republic, uh, and the question was resoundingly defeated. Mm. Um, it was it was a really great pushback, um, a bit like Trump um, defeating the polls in 2016. Yeah. Uh, the the mainstream um, were just completely out of touch. And it, you know, Alexandra, thanks for that data on the polls on on Guardian and and Telegraph, etc. Uh, that's encouraging. And George, mm. I think you're 100 percent right and wise in saying we mustn't rest for a second. Um, if they fail to make a good case for it. Um, our answer has to be no, because uh, unless we're missing something, which I'm just trying to be, uh, you know, a, a smidge of a pinch of humility in here, uh, I'm allowing somebody the opportunity to change my mind. Uh, but the burden of proof is on you. You have to change my mind. How is this not inherently divisive and racist, undemocratic and unequal? Uh, one man, one vote. That's equality to me. 
um, and depending on the color of your skin, getting an extra vote or an extra weighting of your vote, like some uh, perverted gerrymandering system, is just uh, toxic, obnoxious racism, uh, and it's uh, completely baseless. Um, Monica Armstrong says, why didn't anyone stand with Pauline when she walked out? I'd like to see that happen routinely. I refuse. Uh, for me, it's a matter of um, religious devotion. I will not be even perceived to be seen to be celebrating or participating in a false religion. Um, and the worship of ancestors and animism and spiritism is definitely not something I want to be seen participating in. Mm -hmm. um, I will politely, I'm not going to be offensive or obnoxious about it, just like somebody who doesn't agree with Christianity is free to abstain and not partake. Well, look, make no mistake, I'm not going to be part of that. Um, all respect to you do what you want. Um, but it would be good if um, Christians of conscience and other people who didn't subscribe to Aboriginal religion refused to participate in it because it is being imposed on us um, in a way that would never be accepted if it was Christianity. Uh, the Greens, you know, everybody is happy to abstain from any other thing that they want to, and they do do so, and nobody gets in a half over it mm -hmm. or, or pretends like they've been personally wounded. Um, so let's just uh, do that. Alexandra, you're trying uh, to jump in, so you go first. I was, just, I was going to say, the one thing we know is that if you start inviting people to examine their genetic makeup and then use that for social, economic and political benefit, you end up in a world of trouble. History for thousands of years shows us that once you start playing with ethnicity and monetizing it, you end up with nothing but violent tribalism. And that is not the future for Australia. We may be the only country in the world that begins with equality and then starts to work our way backwards toward right. tribalism. So it's I, already, I would say... It's normally that's already happened, Alexandra. I mean, the latest census data showed this huge jump in the number of people identifying as Aboriginal people that's well right. in excess of what could be normal population growth. So, Which you know, just shows you that they are going to exploit this to as far as they can it is not going to be a tool of, of equality it's going to be a tool of division and if this is my final say i'll say subscribe to the spectatoraustralia.com.au we are writing stories for you stories exactly like this we've had about half a dozen criticisms of the voice this week uh so please come in and subscribe and support the news that you want to read because we are fighting a war against mainstream media and publicly funded institutions like the abc so, uh, and you can follow us on Twitter and Facebook, and you can find me on Twitter at, at Ellie Melly. George, we'll come to you for your final comment, uh, but final comment from the audience comes from David Kohler. The real purpose of the Aboriginal voice is to install a controllable group of representatives who can be used to introduce or veto whatever the oligarchs behind the scenes want to introduce and veto and make it look like it's the Indigenous who are wanting or not wanting something. It's all about exercising power without responsibility. Well, we certainly know that the Uluru Statement has very little support and there's greatly divided uh, Indigenous tribes and groups around Australia. So... Mm. Uh, any kind of consensus is a is a myth and a fantasy. George, your final comments. Uh, my final comments are just reiterating what I've said before, that uh, we need to ensure that uh, we push back against this uh, woke agenda, whether it's to set up uh, a third chamber, a racist chamber in our parliament, uh, whether it's uh, the Gestapo knocking on our door because of what we've uh, posted online, that uh, it's just our views. Uh, all of this agenda needs to be opposed. And, uh, you know, uh, Alexandra's uh, promoted The Spectator. Let me promote my Nation First uh, blog as well. Um, I think that uh, The Spectator is an absolutely must-read, and I subscribe to it. Uh, but I've uh, currently got just for today, Dave, half price uh, wow. on my um, subscription. So if you want to get on there, uh, go there now um, and you can get it for half price, nationfirst.substack.com. Uh, and the reason that uh, I've gone into this, and I think the reason that Alexandra pushed her subscriptions is that information is key. So what you're doing here, Dave, uh, what Matthew does uh, every day with sermons and his writings and what uh, the spectator's doing is very, very important. It's arming people in what is essentially a culture war, and it is a culture war uh, that's that's brimming over and getting worse and worse day by day. 
Absolutely. Matt, your final thoughts for the hour. Yeah, I want to say you're not a bad person because you want to defend your way of life and you're not a good person because you want to hate on your own country and hate your own flag. That doesn't make you a virtuous person of any kind. That's right. Uh, you want to, it, it, you, it, it's good to take pride in your nation and defend your nation and to advocate for the history and the good things that your, your people and your way of life have brought to the world. And if you want to, for a shameless plug, if you want to read a book that's written by our two anti-woke, not just non-woke, anti-woke pastors. You can read Defending Conscience by myself and, and Pastor Tim Grant. And the reason I bring it up in this context is in this book, you're going to read about some of the beautiful things in Western society, which actually benefited our country and the world. And they're things to be proud of. They're things you don't have to be ashamed of. And they're things that are worth advocating for. You are not a good person for hating on your own nation. That doesn't make you a good person. It seems to be interpreted that way by many on certain sides of the left, but it's just not true. You're a good person for defending your way of life. Fantastic. Uh, and uh, the final um, last word goes to me. Hang on, I'm just trying to uh, get rid of my... Oh, that'll do. Chris is in charge of um, banners, etc. cetera. Um, thank you for watching and um, thank you for supporting what we're doing, sharing it, adding your comments, likes, etc. Um, please do subscribe to The Good Source uh, with, uh, you know, join the newsletter and also just make a monthly donation. No paywall yet. Everything's free. Um, it will have to come one day, uh, but for now, just do it voluntarily, please. Grab on to The Spectator for the same reason and Nation First at Substack for exactly the same reason. Until we build alternate media sources. The lying harlot media is going to be the dominant cultural influence in our nation. We will continue to lose the culture war. We will continue to lose elections. And God forbid we lose this referendum. What we need is the strongest independent media possible. Uh, and that's what The Good Source does. We're trying to promote and amplify those right-thinking independent voices and thinkers in Australia. Thank you for watching. That's the end of this episode. We will see you next Monday live at 1 p.m. Australian Eastern Standard Time on these channels. Uh, and after that, full show uncensored on goodsource.news. G'day. Today, we need a special kind of courage. Not the kind needed in battle, but a kind which makes us stand up for everything that we know is right, everything that is true and honest. We need the kind of courage that can withstand the subtle corruption of the cynics so that we can show the world that we are not afraid of the future.